Hello and welcome to the GOP Josh Show. Let's hop right into today's episode. The House Republicans have ousted Representative Liz Cheney as conference chair in a voice vote Wednesday. This is an article by Axios because they were the first to report it. Um, Republicans uh, ousted oust out. I cannot speak today. I'm so sorry. Ousted Representative Liz Cheney as conference chair in a voice vote Wednesday, capping months of growing backlash over her criticism of former President Trump, according to two sources in the room. Why it matters, the sudden removal of the number three Republican over her condemnation of Trump's election lies, they say lies, um, reflect the influence of former president and still retain over uh, still retain over the GOP. The big picture, the vote marks the most significant turning point in an internal party feud that is unlikely to subside anytime soon. A vote will be held Friday on Cheney's replacement, according to two sources familiar with the planning. Elise Stefanik has received the endorsement of Trump, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy, and Whip Steve Scalise. Stefanik wasted no time on Wednesday in formally launching her bid for the role. She sent a letter to the conference shortly after the vote announcing her candidacy. She is currently the only candidate running. I don't like Elise Stefanik. I don't have a problem with her. As a representative, I don't think she should be influencing the agenda of the party. I say this because she is popular with Trump because she has a good mouth and she knows what to say. But she doesn't know how to act on her actions. She doesn't know how or act on her actions. She doesn't know how to act on her words. Her actions don't line up with her words and she is one of the most she is a member of the Republican Party who votes against Trump a lot of the time. Um 23% of the time to be exact. According to let me pull up my article that I wrote about it here, according to, I think it's 538. According to 538, Representative Stefanik voted against President Trump's agenda 23% of the time. One of these times was against Trump's individual tax cuts or House Bill 6760. According to the blaze, she co-sponsored the amnesty bill, H.R. 4796. She also voted against sanctions on our enemies in Iran, Russia, and North Korea. Elise Stefanik is not a friend to the Republican Party. She is a member of the Republican Party. She has voted with the Republican Party about 77% of the time. But she's not a friend of the Republican Party. She is not a person who should be influencing our agenda because she does not vote with our agenda. She does not vote with the Trump agenda, which was elected by the first time, I think, was 60 million Americans, the second time, 75 million Americans. So I don't believe that she would be the best choice to replace Stefan or uh, replace Cheney. I'm sorry, I don't know who would be, but I don't believe that she w- should be the person who replaces Liz Cheney. Just from a from a general standpoint, I don't think that she would be the best choice. Um, just because of the fact that she doesn't vote with Trump very much. Um. Liz Cheney, on the other hand, has agreed with President Trump's agenda 92.9% of the time, and the majority of the disagreements had to do with the 2020 election. So someone who is more conservative than Elise Stefanik, someone who has been in the party more uh, longer, um, someone who has more experience is being ousted because of things she says when Elise Stefanik is most likely, I'd put 99% of the uh, 99% chance of her being uh, becoming the GOP conference chair because she is buddy-buddy with Trump, because she has good words. She speaks correctly. Liz Cheney, I don't like Liz Cheney. I don't think that she should be representing 
um, the party on any sort of national level. But I also don't believe that we should replace her with someone even more liberal than she is. So what we're hearing right now, this is according to Axios, the same article, Cheney now plans to lead even harder into a criticism of the former president and those she thinks are continuing to enable him, including Kevin McCarthy. She will fully embrace her role as chief Republican Trump critic and fight for an alternative vision for the GOP's future. So never Trumpers are really going to like Liz Cheney in the future. Or not even the future, in the present right now. Because for her remaining time in Congress, which will be uh, about a year and six months, well, she'll, the other person won't be inaugurated in, okay, about seven months, maybe, I don't know, a, a decent period of time still, eight months, a year and eight months, when she gets voted out in 2022, because she'll most likely get primary, and the primary will most likely win, because the Republican Party base right now is a pro-Trump base. So, until January 2023, that when we can assume that she will be voted out and the other the, her replacement will be inaugurated, or uh, sworn in, sorry, she is going to be very anti-Trump and very vocal with being anti-Trump. So, you, you can take that how you want it. Um, I believe that never-Trumpers are going to love Liz Cheney for the next couple of months, um, next year or, or so. I don't know. So, from behind the scenes, Cheney told members at the start of the conference meeting, I have tremendous affection and admiration for many of you in this room. I know we came all the wa- all, t- all we all came to Washington to do important work for the nation. Um, Cheney told members at the start of the conference meeting, we cannot let the former president drag us backwards and make us complicit in his efforts to unravel our democracy. Down that path lies our destruction and potentially the destruction of our country, she continued. If you want leaders who enable the spread of this destructive lies, I'm not your person. You have plenty of others to choose from. That will be their legacy. Cheney speaking to reporters after the vote. Um, Cheney then closed with a prayer. Oh, that was the photo. Sorry. Uh, Cheney then closed with a prayer. Let's pray. Dear God, fill us with the love of freedom and reverence for all your gifts. Help us to understand the gravity of this moment. Help us remember that the democratic systems can fray and suddenly unravel. When they do, they are gone forever. How we got here, Republicans have been unhappy with Cheney ever since she sat it against Trump and his baseless flame claims of election fraud. She was one of 10 House Republicans who voted on impeachment of the former president for inciting the January 6th Capitol insurrection. In February, the GOP conference voted 145-61 in a secret ballot to fend off the first bid to oust Cheney from leadership. House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy supported Cheney at the time and said she's got a resounding shot in the arm with the vote, insisting that um, it showed the party was united. So... Yeah, I mean, back then, this wasn't a big deal. She wasn't vocally still claiming that President Trump is a terrible person because he wanted to, because he wanted to make sure this election was secure and he wanted to make sure that even if President Biden was elected legitimately, which I don't believe he was, that the results were true and the results were honest and the results were fair and there was no fraud involved. Because there was fraud involved, I believe. I mean, I'm going to comment this more when this comes up in the show. But if you can hack a pipeline that feeds gas to, I think it's, how many states are there? How many states is it? I have my notes up here. Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Carolinas, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, Virginia, Arkansas, Tennessee, as well as other states. If you can hack a pipeline 
that feeds gas to all of those states, what is stopping you from hacking one individual voting machine and changing the results for the entire state? That right there comment is probably going to get me banned off of YouTube, so make sure you follow me on my Twitter if I'm not banned on there too, GOP Josh 20 So let's get right into this now. I just wrote this next up on my agenda. I write out a little bit of an agenda to make sure that I know what I want to talk about on the episode and I don't just ramble on for hours because I could do that. Um, The pipeline gets hacked. The Colonial Pipeline is a private company that controls the largest pipeline in the United States. Um, S&P's Oil Price Information Service puts the numbers of gas stations encountering shortages at more than 1,000. The Associated Press reported this is an article from the Daily Wire. The pipeline runs from the Texas Gulf Coast to the New York metropolitan area. The states most dependent on the pipeline include Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and the Carolinas. On social media, multiple videos went viral of people showing that their gas stations were out of fuel in states including Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, Virginia, Arkansas, Tennessee, and others. Some analysts say that the panic buying could be playing a role in gas stations running out of fuel. If you know that your gas may run out, you're going to panic buy. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm warned that gas stations in the impacted regions of the country will likely continue to experience a supply crunch even after the pipelines are fully operational again. The crunches in the areas that are affected by the pipeline, the main spurs of the pipeline, Granholm added, so that really is the southeast. It is about 70% of the supplies, um, it's, it's about 70% of the supplies of North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, and especially Southern Virginia are impacted the most. And so these are areas that have the greatest concerns with, and because of the fact that there are not a whole lot of, uh, there's not a whole lot of other supply. Now this particular pipeline also supplies other states, but there are other pipelines that supply their states as well. So I don't know who is to blame for this pipeline. I don't know who to blame for the pipeline's ability to get hacked. This like it's a multiple state pop- pipeline that was just I don't know if this said yeah uh, with impacts of a cyber attack on Colonial Pop on the Colonial Pipeline. If a pipeline that runs many states and protects many states or not protects many states sorry, but gives gas and provides gas to many states can get hacked, what is stopping our elections from being hacked? What is stopping our voting machines from being hacked? What is stopping this, that, or the other from being hacked and tampered with? Because if a cyber attack can take down an entire pipeline, imagine what it can do to a voting machine. That's my comment on that because we don't know the full story behind the pipeline. We don't know the whole problem, what caused it, this, that, or the other. We do know about this. Um, Jen Perelman, uh, Perelman, I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Actually, I don't know if it's her or not. She doesn't have her pronouns in her Twitter bio. Put on Twitter. Congress failed to act on a $15 minimum wage in order to protect corporate special interests. So now we fight for $25 U.S. dollars, a living wage, not something less. Go bold or go home. And then attached with it was a picture of Andrew Jackson with um, Lincoln on the dollar bill. So it was like Lincoln's in his corner. $25, $25, $25, $25 as a dollar bill. 
she said, go bold or go home, hashtag living wage. Go home. Jen Perelman, go home. I, you know, I have, a, I have this on a piece of paper in front of me just because Twitter got deleted because it was satire. Just crinkled up the paper. Just crinkled up the paper. Go home. Small businesses in the state of Ohio, in the not even in the state of Ohio, in the country of America, won't be able to survive that dramatic of a minimum wage increase. I believe it should be a state basis because the needs of someone in uh, Florida is not the needs of the sa- of someone in Wyoming. It's not the needs of someone in New York. It's not the needs of someone in Montana. It's not the needs of someone in Ohio. It's not the needs of someone in California. So why should the federal government mandate a minimum wage? It should be something to where people can't physically starve their workers. But it also shouldn't be something as dramatic as $25. I don't personally know anybody that makes more than $25 an hour as it is. And they are living just fine because $25 is not a living wage in the majority of states. $25 is a wealthy wage in the majority of states. And by making everyone wealthy, everything starts costing more money. So that means that every, nobody's wealthy. And then government, and then the money, money. I don't. I'm starting to believe that no one that believes in fifteen dollar or twenty five dollar minimum wage has ever taken a history class or an economics class in the history of ever. Because this will, frankly, just destroy our economy because everything's going to be costing more and more money. But people don't understand that. So we're going to be right back. Nope. Wait. Yep. I have to take a break here. We will be right back on the GOP Josh Show. Did you know the GOP Josh Show is available wherever you get your podcasts? That includes Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as iHeartRadio and YouTube. Just search The GOP Josh Show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram, GOP Josh 20. And my Twitter is GOP Josh 20. Now, back to the show. You're listening to The GOP Josh Show. Welcome back. This is The GOP Josh Show. So, we need to talk about what's going on in Israel. So... Israel appears to signal a major escalation announcement as IDF, which is the Israel Defense, I think. Israel Defense Forces eliminates top terrorist targets. The Israel Defense Forces launched a series of surgical strikes against Hamas, which is a Palestinian terrorist group um, inside Gaza on Tuesday night and into Wednesday morning as the, after the Palestinian terrorists fired hundreds of rockets into Israel. The strikes came amid a new statement from Israel's military that appeared to sound as if they were planning on kicking things up a notch in response to the terror attacks. Quote, the army will continue to attack to bring a total long-term quiet, Defense Minister Benzi, Benny Gant said on Wednesday. Only when we reach that goal will we be able to speak about a truce. Quote, this evening I will convene the Secretary Cabinet, Prime Minister Benjamin um, I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name because I don't want to butcher it, said, There have been a difficult, difficult developments, including anti-tank fire. We will respond, and we are responding with increasing force. The strike from the IDF came after the terrorists fired more than a 1,000 and 100 rockets at Israel. 
the overwhelming majority of which has been intercepted by the nation's Iron Dome system. The terrorists have focused on firing large numbers of rockets in a short period of time in an attempt to oversaturate the Iron Dome's ability to stop all rockets from being fired. So far, at least five people inside Israel have been killed and more than 100 people wounded. So I don't really know the whole story behind Israel and, Pal- uh, and Palestine. I know that Israel is the holy land for Jews, and it's supposedly the holy land for um, Muslims as well. And they're trying to give Israel to the Palestinians, which are the Jews, practically the Palestinian land. And obviously, America wants to stand up for the Jews. We are on the side of Israel. And I believe that Biden needs to act on this. President Biden is not standing up for our allies. I'm not saying that we should send nukes into Palestine or anything like that, but at least signify his support, because I don't know if the White House has made a statement yet. I'm going to find that for you guys. Yes. This is Rutgers. I haven't had a chance to read this article yet, so it's not going to be probably my best read. (laughs) The White House said on Tuesday that Israel has a legitimate right to defend itself from the Hamas rockets attacks, but applied pressure on Israel over the treatment of Palestinians, saying Jerusalem must be a place of coexistence. Violence erupted last Friday at Jerusalem's um, Al-Aqasa Mosque amid growing anger over the potential eviction of Palestinians from home on land claimed by Jewish shuttlers. The clashes escalated on Monday. White House spokesperson Jen Psaki opened her daily news briefing with a statement about the situation, saying that President Joe Biden had just received an update from his national security team and that his primary focus was on de-escalation. She said the United States condemned rocket attacks by Hamas and other groups, including an attack on Jerusalem, and that Biden supporters for Israel's security for its legitimate rights to defend itself and the people is fundamental and will never waver. Jerusalem, a city of such importance to people of faith around the world, must be a place of coexistence, Saki said. U.S. officials in recent weeks have spoken candidly, candidly with Israeli officials about how evictions of Palestinian families and demolition of their homes work against our common interest in achieving a solution to the conflict. Saki said, Biden has sought to rebalance U.S. policy towards Israel and the Palestinians after his predecessor, Donald Trump, sat with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin, um, once again, I don't know how to pronounce that last name on all fronts. A senior administration official said Biden and Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas recently com- completed a exchange of letters that began when Abbas sent Biden a letter congratulating him on winning the 2020 election. Biden said a response recently. We won't share details of the letter. This is part of the administration's ongoing outreach to the Palestinian leadership on a range of issues of mutual uh, mutual interest, including ongoing efforts to de-escalate violence and restore calm, the official said. Saki said the United States was a two-state solution to Israeli-Palestinian conflict, a goal that Trump did not aggressively pursue, saying it was the only way to ensure a just and lasting peace between them. We believe Palestinians and uh, and Israelis deserve equal measures of freedom, security, dignity, and prosperity. Um, she said, Trump said in a statement that Biden's lack of support for Israel is leading to new attacks on our allies. No, I agree with President Trump. Shocker, shocker. I believe that our president should be acting to make sure that our allies, our greatest allies, are protected. I'm sorry. I believe that we need to protect our allies, especially a vulnerable state like Jerusalem. We need to protect our allies. I'll let you make your own decision on that because I'm not an expert in Israeli politics or not even in Israeli politics, but Israel at all. So Anderson Cooper hosts Jeopardy and sets records for the lowest rating of any guest host in history. So I 
compiled this episode yet uh, earlier today, and then between today and the time I'm recording this, I lost my membership pass to the Daily Wire. It 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 expired, so I can't read this article anymore. But I'm going to read what I can. Um, looks like Sony Picture Television won't be asking Anderson Cooper to permanently take up a, uh, the Jeopardy mantle anytime soon. The silver-haired CNN anchor pulled the least viewers of any guest host since Alex Trebek died, according to the rating information obtained by the Wrap. With the 53-year-old Cooper at the helm, the long-running series dropped seven percent from the week before when the. Uh, Green Bay Packers QB Aaron Rodgers stood behind the iconic podium. Even Dr. Oz attracted a bigger audience. So, even worse, Jeopardy was the biggest game show and it's now fallen behind to family uh, because of family or beneath family feud because of Anderson Cooper's hosting. Former champion Ken Jennings, who holds the record for the longest Jeopardy winning streak and highest earning contestant, has been the most popular guest host since the show had a soldier on, soldier on without the legendary Trebek, pulling 6.2 and 5.9 in the ratings in his first and second weeks, respectively. People on social media, including myself, were complaining when they mentioned that they were going to even consider having Anderson Cooper host the show. We don't need politics in our Jeopardy game. But they did it anyway. Please, TV executives, listen to the people who are watching your show. Because the people would have warned you that we didn't want to watch this. And yet we have to watch it anyway. I'm not sure who's hosting it now. I don't really get a chance to watch Jeopardy very often. Ellen DeGeneres is to end her talk show. So Ellen DeGeneres is, of course, the most annoying talk show host history in the history of talk show hosts. And that's saying a lot coming from this very annoying talk show host right here. Daytime's most recognizable face has decided her upcoming season, the show's 19th, will be the last. The decision which fell to generous is said to have been several years in the making. She informed her staff May 11th and will sit down with longtime pal and daytime predecessor Oprah Winfrey to discuss the news on Ellen's May 13th show. That's tomorrow or the day that this is coming out. When you're a creative person, you constantly need to be challenged. And as great as the show is, and as fun as it is, it's just not a challenge anymore. So she flaunts her creativity while she was talking about why she's quitting her show. She tells a Hollywood reporter discussing the move publicly for the first time. Timing her departure is something DeGeneres has openly wrestled with in the past. In 2018, New York Times profile she received. She revealed, sorry if you can hear my chair in the background. She revealed that her actress wife, Portia de Rossi, has been encouraging her to move on from the 180 shows a year gig, while her comedian brother, along with executives at Warner Bros., has urged her continue. Has urged her to continue. In the end, DeGeneres signed on for three more seasons, but was clear to herself and her team that this contract would be her well, well put her well beyond 3,000 shows and stunning 2,400 celebrity interviews will be her last. I don't like Ellen. This isn't really political. This is just news i don't like ellen degeneres i've never enjoyed watching her show we had a teacher in school who used to play her show for us for some odd reason i don't enjoy ellen to be completely honest i'm kind of glad that the show's over maybe nbc most likely not but maybe they'll replace it with something enjoyable to watch to the majority of people and not just people who like celebrities i don't know how to see but we know Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, he is announced, he announced his run for um, gubernatorial candidate or uh, <laughs> announced his run for governor of California. 
This is an article from The Hill. Records indicate, so he claimed that he didn't vote in 2020 because he was golfing. Records indicate that California gubernatorial candidate and former reality television star Bruce Jenner voted last fall, despite his comments in an interview in which he stated that he did not cast a ballot on Election Day in 2020, Politico reported. A representative from the Los Angeles County Registrar's Office confirmed to the outlet that Jenner casted a ballot in 2020 and provided documentation of his voting history. Oh, they provided that. Uh, okay. Yes, he did vote in the general election. <laughs> In 2020. Jenner said in an interview with CNN's Dana Bash that he didn't vote in 2020 because he couldn't get excited about it. The Republican hopeful who was seeking to oust Democratic Governor California Governor Gavin Newsom in a recall election noted that because California is such a blue state, he focuses on voting on ballot propositions, none of which she felt he felt passionately about last year. It was voting day, and I thought the only thing out here in California that I worry about which affects people is the propositions that were out there. And I didn't see any propositions that I really had one side or the other. And so it was election day, and I couldn't get excited about that. And I just wound up playing golf and said, uh, I'm not doing that. He continued. California residents voted on 12 ballot measures in November, including propositions on affirmative action, rent control, and more. So that's interesting. So either he has a terrible memory, he forgot that he voted, which would go along with the memory, or he lied because he didn't vote for President Trump, which he claims to be a supporter of, in the party that he claims to be a supporter of. I'll let you decide that one for yourself. I'll also let you decide on this election yourself. I'm not filing any sort of endorsements or anything in this race because I don't want to. (laughs) I don't like Jenner. I don't believe he should be the face of any state party, any state Republican party. Let the Democrats have him. I don't like him. So a voting rights bill, voting rights is how CBS defines it. CBS is fake news. This bill, which is a federal takeover of our elections, is in the Senate. House Bill 1 makes it to where you cannot require to proof of photo ID to vote house bill one makes it to where the federal government practically controls every element of an election which is unconstitutional unconstitutional so the senate on tuesday advanced senate bill one the for the people act setting up a wait senate bill one hmm setting up a floor vote for the controversial bill senators clashed over voting rights and election procedures for hours in a continuous committee meeting to consider amendments to the massive bill Democrats claim the legislation is necessary to counter new voting restrictions being considered by multiple states, but Republicans argued that the bill is a naked power grab and voted down an amendment that would made several changes to legislation based on feedback from state and local election officials. The committee deadlocked 9-9 along party lines on whether to approve the bill. The committee can't report it out, but Senate rules allow Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to bring the bill to the floor. All nine Republicans voted against the bill, even though some amendments proposed by GOP senators had been adopted. The House approved the For the People Act by a vote of 220 to 210 in March, with one Democrat joining all Republicans and voting against it. It's a bipartisan measure. It's a bipartisan measure to block this bill, according to the Democrat logic. Ten Republicans voting for Trump impeachment. It's bipartisan. 
The bill would overhaul government ethics and campaign finance laws and seek to strengthen voting rights by creating automatic voter registration and expanding access to early and absentee voting. It also includes some measures that will require states to overhaul their registration systems, limit states' ability to remove people from voter rolls, increase federal funds for election security, and reform the redistricting process. In a sign of how critical this issue is for both parties, Schumer and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell both appeared at the markup session before the Senate Rules Committee, a rarity for committee meetings to consider bills. In a statement, Schumer argued that there is a reactionary effort by states to limit voting rights, quote, led by one party and compelled by the most dishonest president in American history. Several Republican-controlled states have recently passed or are considering legislation to restrict voting rights in the wake of former President Trump's electoral loss in a rise of mail-in voting due to uh, the coronavirus pandemic. You're not going to find a non-biased article about House Bill 1 or Senate Bill 1 or whatever they want to call it now because there is nothing bipartisan about it. Senate Bill 1 or House Bill 1, for the For the People Act, the For the Democrats Act, I made a whole episode about this back a little while ago, is a federal takeover of our elections. It is a federal takeover of our elections, which is directly against the U.S. Constitution, the Constitution that makes this country great. Because we can't verify who's voting in our elections. We're not allowed to verify who is deciding who will lead our country in our, in, in a, because it's racist, because people of color can't get IDs. I can get an ID. I can walk into a BMV and get an ID. We need just, we need to follow the, the, the path of Queen Elizabeth II and the parliamentary in Britain and guarantee that we need voter ID in order to vote. My name is GOP Josh. This is the GOP Josh Show, gopjosh.com. See you guys next week.